When it comes to managing people, one of the toughest parts is hiring. But if you want a good organization, you have to get hiring right. All the training, development, coaching, and education in the world likely won't help someone who just isn't right for the job or for the organization. And hiring the wrong person can be extraordinarily expensive due to low productivity, turnover, wasted time, and the damage that a bad hire can inflict on everyone else. The good news is that there's a mountain of evidence about how to hire people. Listen in, and we'll explore. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so today we're talking about hiring 101, how to select the best people. So for those that are like, well, well, we do hire, but we do have people in seats. You know, what's 101 look like? Like from the evidence, from the literature, from the experts, we actually know some stuff in this area. And we're going to talk about the challenge of selection, you know, how you how you find people and, and how you choose them. Right. And this is a, we're going to talk about how this is a process backed by about 100 years of science on mm -hmm. this stuff. You know, the physicists are wailing and gnashing teeth at us right now. But yes, no, the social sciences are an actual science that helps us with these kinds of things. And we're going to talk about implications for job candidates, hiring managers and executives. That's right. So there are many different things that we can talk about with regards to uh, hiring people, this issue, this thing we're trying to do called selection in organizations. And some organizations use uh, professional assessments, but most of them don't. Most organizations, especially those kind of in the mid-market uh, that are just looking for folks and trying to get the best, it's usually resume screen, interview, and a gut feel, and let's go for it. Now, the issue of professional assessments, we're not going to really touch on that a whole lot here in this episode. That's a topic that warrants its own episode. We'll cover that later. But I think we can start with this part of uh, the, the problem, which is this challenge that we really face when we're trying to hire the right person, uh, the challenge of selection. You know, you may think of it as kind of a simple thing, but it actually is fairly complex. Uh, when we're trying to hire people, it's it's kind of a tricky thing because we're trying to predict not just something about the person, you know, what they're like right now, but we're trying to predict how they might behave in the future. Uh, we're trying to figure out what kinds of things about their past, about them as a person might give us indicators with regard to how well they'll perform in the future. Yeah. So when I see managers out there, they, they almost wish they could take a Star Trek approach to hiring. Mm -hmm. You know, they press some panel. Let's see. I need them to be five, nine and able to lift 35 pounds. <laughs> I need them to, you know, have good social skills and then just beam them in Scotty. Right. <laughs> and we got their cubicle over here and it's just not that easy. And because it's not that easy and in the rigmarole of the daily work and all of that kind of stuff that goes on, I see managers take and I want to call these emotional shortcuts because mm. you're overwhelmed and you have some feelings. And well, if I hire, you know, maybe if I hire too many people and I have too much turnarounds, if I get this wrong, I'll be looked at poorly. I, there's all this emotional weight on hiring. And rather than coming up to the task, because people aren't saying, hey, here's how you do it. Here's five easy steps to getting hiring right which mm -hmm. there's actually some easy steps. Normally be skeptical of those. But because it hasn't been laid out, people just, okay, I'll just, you know, I, I'll take the third interview I had. Right. Or I'll just take the first one, right? They, they don't go through the steps, so they shortcut it, and then the organization gets shortcutted in turn. And some of this is um, counterintuitive. It's not necessarily what you think is going to work well. A lot of managers who, that I talk with, many executives even, uh, think it's kind of about gut feel and, you know, oh, talk to this person, you know, see what they're like and, uh, you know, see what kind of quality handshake they have. Uh, I, I, you know, in the days when we did handshakes, I don't know if that's going to be a thing anymore, but we'll see. 
they make this just kind of overall judgment about the person. The problem with that is it it really is divorced, perhaps, from what actually is required by the job. So knowing what the job involves first and the qualities that are required to do it well, that's where you start. And that's your job description and your job specification in HR terms. And in order to then evaluate whether or not somebody has what it takes to do the job and do it well, then we need to have a variety of kind of quote unquote tests to figure that out. And usually this involves screening some applications, looking at some resumes, and usually interviews. Those are the basics that most organizations use. Now, what's really important, I think, is to emphasize that this is not a perfect process, though, because we're dealing with people. Uh, the goal of selection is, is about probabilities. It's about reducing the probability of a bad hire, increasing the probability of a good hire, and trying to not miss any of those diamonds in the rough, right? Uh, avoiding the situation in which you don't hire someone who would have been amazing. That's another error that can occur, um, right? So uh, that's what we're trying to do with selection. And it's, it's such a critical part of any organization's functioning. Right. The bringing in of somebody new from outside the organization, I think some managers fantasize about, oh, look, I'll be able to look and I'll find somebody that I don't have to train. I don't have to help adapt to the environment. They'll just, you know, beam on in and be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and if not, go tell HR to go get more resumes, that kind of thing. But what we know from the literature of onboarding and bringing somebody into the organization is it's going to take a little while, maybe around 90 to 120 days-ish for somebody to fit in around here. And if you don't go through looking at some of the qualities and the stuff that's required to do the job, what you get is like a version of bro culture hmm. within your organization. Now, I've seen all-female-run marketing companies that have a whatever the female version of bro culture is right you know yeah. everybody's kind of the same because you're the gut feelings are on these interpersonal level stuff but if you want yeah. new i creative ideas if you know think about this and this is a you know generally the first person an entrepreneur hires is some kind of bookkeeper <laughs> right you don't want the bookkeeper to have your personality as CEO. You need them to be one of those attention to details, loves getting the numbers right, all those kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to actually look at this. And Ben, one of the things we were talking about in prepping for this episode is like picking football players, <laughs> right? That's so right. For, those, for the candidates that say, gosh, it's just the interview process just seems like a giant test. That's right. It is. It but we're going to tell you how to have fun on that test. And, <laughs> and one of the biggest tests that a lot of people would have experience with, at least in the United States, is football, right? Yeah. People like American football, at least here in the United States. And interestingly, you know, from a selection perspective, as, a, as an organizational psychologist, I find it interesting the way they, they do this. So when you go from playing college um, football to playing in the professional leagues, in the National Football League, um, there's something that potential players go through called the National Football League or NFL Combine. And this is where prospective players get tested on a whole bunch of different items. Um, you know, catching abilities, speed, uh, agility, jumping, strength, all of these different aspects of them as a person. They also, by the way, take an intelligence test, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and then based upon all of those different data points, um, the teams have some data with regard to how they might draft someone. Um, and it's easy in that situation to, to imagine all of you know, the, the relationship between all those different tests. You know, if, if someone can run fast, they're strong, they can catch the ball, they can do all these different things. And oh, by the way, they, they get along well with other people and they're smart. Guess what? You know, that, that will probably relate quite well to the football um, environment and they can look at all the data, right? So sports, we have tons of data. You can look at all the scores from how people did on those different tests. And then you can look a couple years down the road and see how they performed and then make sure that there's a, a statistical relationship between higher scores on, for example, someone's, you know, NFL combines uh, outcomes and their future job performance. 
Um, and so it's easy to see that relationship there with physical abilities. But it gets murkier when we start thinking about knowledge work, when we start thinking about, well, how do you pick the best manager? How do you pick the best, you know, pharmacist? How do you pick the best um, whatever, right? Other types of work that are that, where it's less obvious, um, you know, what types of characteristics lead to high performance. So it's tough, tougher when the characteristics are invisible or they're trickier to assess. But here's the thing. It is possible. And this is, this is the domain of selection science. Um, there's a lot of research on it. It's kind of like the mainstay in industrial and organizational psychology to look at how we can do this. And, you know, there's people who have argued that, hey, you know what, we probably don't need to research this a whole lot more. Now, there's a whole bunch of fancy new techniques that are coming out that are continuing to be researched, but we do know quite a bit. Yeah. So if you're a, you know, mid-market company, you'd actually, to do the majority of this, you don't need a billion dollars spent with some large consulting firm to design this for your 10-person shop, right? Mm -hmm. So first of all, you got to make sure you have a good applicant pool. And we need to do a recruiting episode. We'll do that. We're not going to address that there. But let's say you've got a good pool of applicants. How might you pick a better one out of that pool of applicants? And the first one that's so good that costs almost nothing but a little bit of time is having a realistic job preview. Right. So a realistic job preview, actually, you know, this starts kind of during the recruiting process where you are giving candidates a good idea of what the job involves, what the organization is like. And you're not just telling them all the great things. You're, you're not masking some of the challenging aspects of the job, because guess what? <laughs> you're going to hire somebody. They're going to find out those, those negative aspects really quickly. And if you lied to them along the way, they're going to leave or it'll at least increase the probability that they will leave. Therefore, be realistic. Um, give them that preview of what the job is like. And there are a couple of different ways in which you can do this. Um, so first of all, you can you know, show and tell and really connect with, that, uh, with your applicants as they're going through the process. So you know, what are some examples of that, Chris? Yeah, so this is not a, you're selling your 99 CRV and you want to tell them it's like a Porsche or something. Yeah, buyer's remorse is do, not. Do you know somebody who has a 99 CRV? Yes, I have a 99 CRV. My <laughs> wife wants me to get rid of it, but I'm not cheating on Haley Honda here, right? So, yes, my car has a name. Um, you don't want, but you know, once that person gets in the seat, you don't want them to have buyer's remorse. And so, like you said, show, tell, connect. One of the things that I love to do is most people have a smartphone of some sort is to make some cool little videos and they, they should not be overproduced and look canned. Nobody wants to know that your organization in our organization, everything's canned, even our cranberry sauce, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not what you want. Have, have an employee pick up and be like, Hey, I'm Fred. This is what a day in my life looks like in this job. We're looking for somebody that'll work alongside me or that will be doing a similar job. Maybe, you know, if he's a plumber and he's making a call, he's like, hey, this is how I this is what our vans look like. I check in in the morning like this. These kinds of things, anything that will not only humanize uh, the experience, because now somebody gets a flavor for the types of people that work in the organization or hopefully the types of people that are on the team that they're going to be on. They also get to see and start putting some emotional and visual resonance on what goes on there. That's a great way to do this. Just have some some candid video. And these don't need to be videos that you make public to the entire universe. They could be ones that during the applicant process, like, hey, here, we got our good pool. We want to make these accessible to these folks as they go through this. So they really have some insight into, in terms of what it is like to work at this, this organization. Um, and, and the big piece of this psychologically is it just it's, it's about fairness and honesty and building trust and credibility right away, you know? giving people that that unfettered view of what it looks like and that access is really really helpful for a realistic job preview and another way you can do that is by just providing some contact information for job candidates to talk with some other good employees who can provide an honest perspective and talk to those people before you put them on that contact list those current employees and say look give them an honest perspective right because they're going to find out anyway so we want them to ask questions answer be honest and um that could be another way to, to start to 
provide that that realistic job preview. Yeah, another thing is really empathizing with your job candidates. If especially if for veteran HR people who haven't I've been in the organization for 20 years, you know, you might forget what it's like to go through this annoying process of filling on online applications, submitting, waiting for a response, telling your current employer you have a dentist appointment while you're actually going to interview somewhere else. You know, <laughs> all those kinds of things that go into the shenanigans of changing jobs or picking up a new jobs. It's important to have empathy with this process. That needs to start with, and we're not getting into recruitment, but making sure the application process isn't annoying and a turnoff to anybody that you really want to get in there. But mm -hmm. outside that, encouraging questions from them and being honest in your response. Something you might want to say is like, hey, I'm not the hiring manager. I'm just in HR, but do you have any concerns about working here? Right. And, oh, okay, well, let me address those. Or, you know, that is a concern. If standing for eight hours a day is something you don't think you can do, I don't think you could do this job. You know, these are the kinds of things, making sure that you're actually, you become an ally with the applicant. Mm -hmm. And that ally is finding the right place for them. If that's with you, great. If it's not with you, hey, you want to just bless that person with the knowledge that this isn't the right place and maybe even give them a few places they want to check out or that kind of things. You know, that person, because the interview process, you know, let's say you had 20 applicants. Well, you're only hiring one. Mm -hmm. Well, then you have 19 people, if it's bad in the process, that are going to say, gosh, this organization is horrible. I mean, right. maybe I wasn't the best candidate, but the way they treat people is awful. You will get <laughs> a bad reputation in the community if you don't handle with care and empathy and honesty the, you know, the precious applicants that you get. They're people on this planet with you. And by the way, everything you just said, Chris, is also backed by science. There's a whole area of research looking at applicant reactions to the selection process. And you're absolutely right. It's got to be one that people walk away feeling like, hey, I didn't get the job, but it was a pretty good process. They treat people fairly along the way. That's another topic, but it's a really good one and a great point. As you were talking through, you know, this ideas about, you know, making sure people have a realistic job preview. I, I remembered uh, something that happened to me when I was hired at Cleveland State University. I was talking to you know, basically when that happened. Oh, no. You, did they did they completely no, lie to you during no, no, the interview? No, no, no. So <laughs> what, but part of that process, at least for, for professors, is, you know, you have um, you have initial contact, perhaps with a search committee and a variety of interviews. You come on campus, you do all these different things. But at some point, you usually go around and you talk to like most, if not all of the different professors in the department, um, just kind of one on one. And I remember this one guy who who's still there. Great guy. And uh, and he's like, hey, so. Um, you got any questions about anything? And I was like, you know, I, I, this was towards the end of the process. I felt like I had all the information I knew. And, and then he just volunteered some negative information, right? So, so sometimes nice. the job, job, job candidates won't ask everything because they just don't know what they don't know. Or maybe they just are still trying to present themselves in a certain way, which is pretty reasonable, right? You're trying to do that when you're trying to get a job. But what, what this professor said to me, he's like, Hey, you know, parking is really expensive here. He's like, he's like, he's like, it's more than a thousand dollars a year. I was like, wow, that, that is a lot. Thanks for letting me know. Right. And, and it was just one of those things where, Hey, like, I'm not happy that parking is expensive. I mean, so the campus is downtown and, uh, you know, so it's just, that's just the nature of the beast. But knowing that didn't give me a nasty surprise once I got hired. Right. I, I, I got hired and then I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, this guy told me that parking was going to be expensive and it was. So you um, knew the flavor of nasty that you're getting into, right? <laughs> that's right. Okay. So realistic job previews, that's definitely part of this. That's backed by science. Um, you know, you get creative be with it. Don't do yeah. realistic job preview. No, have now, fun. Phones yeah, and, and media here's, dialogue. And here's the thing. If your organization really has some major issues, that means you need to fix those issues. If you're going to attract good candidates too, right? If you're, if your culture is horrible and everyone's treated unfairly, you and know, you'll and get the same numbskulls that'll <laughs> stick around the ones with no other options. And Ugh. well, and that we see that too. So for sure, for <laughs> sure. So let's move now and talk a little bit about this thing we call job analysis, right? So if we're going to try to pick people for a job, then we should not start with the ideal candidate in mind saying, Oh, you know, this job, 
you know, I'm probably looking for, you know, somebody kind of fresh out of school, you know, ideally female or male. Like, don't don't go down that road, right? Which you you should and not and a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> good grief. <laughs> you you wanna try to get all that out of your head. Don't even think about potential job candidates yet before you understand the job itself. And the way you do that is through something called job analysis. Um, you know, HR folks are familiar with this, yet they don't always do it. Um it's important. It this sounds so painfully boring, but yeah. we're here to tell you, you can do it easy and it's fine. IO site needs better brand realistic job preview, job analysis. I mean, this sounds like, wow, the accounting guys are having more fun than you are, but that's not true. That is not true. Our conferences are much more fun than the accounting and finance people. I don't and I know. know. I, I know. From, know. I know from experience. My wife is a finance professor and I've been to her conferences before. We have way more fun and she will agree with you. So anyway, um, <laughs> so knowing knowing what the job involves is so important. If you're going to hire somebody for that job, you got to figure out what does good performance look like in that job. You know, so this is also important for the realistic job preview. It assumes that you actually know what the job entails. So, you know, knowing what people actually do in a job helps you recruit for that job, helps you hire for that job. It also helps you manage the performance of the person who actually does it. So, um, the other thing that you got to keep in mind is as a hiring manager, you may think you know what the job entails, but you might not know, right? You might be more removed from that than you actually think or actually realize that you are. So you got to get down to, um, you know, down to the business of figuring out what that job involves. Yeah. We go into consulting engagements all the time where the team's like, yeah, our manager doesn't know what happens day to day around here. Sure. He, that guy's clueless, but he keeps management <laughs> off her back and he gets good coffee and donuts. So, you know, it's symbiotic over here. <laughs> so you got to get in, talk to your people, involve your team. You know, if somebody's going to be brought on a team, involve your team in developing two important things. And this is a job description and a job specification. And Ben, what are those items? So these are the two outcomes that you can get from a good job analysis. A job description is a an outline of what is done in the job, the different what performance looks like, right? And sometimes these things are um, are described, for example, as I'm going to use a, a grammatical nerd term, but a gerund, right? So a gerund is a is a noun that's kind of used as a verb or that has ing at the end, right? Or it's a verb that's kind of used as a noun, right? So for example, as a professor, I can talk about a few different things that I do. And these would be things in my job description. So teaching classes, conducting and publishing research, um, you know, serving on committees, mentoring students advising theses and dissertations. Those are all different pieces of my job. Those would be pieces of the job description. That's different from the job specifications. Job specifications are qualities about the person that enable them to do the stuff that's in the job description well. So job specification for a professor could involve things around education, a track record of um, performance in the classroom, uh, publications for has a PhD. Yeah. Three years of, of teaching experience. These mm -hmm. are job specs that are very specific, right? Right, right. And so doing a good job analysis will help you understand what you're going to put in those categories. So how do you do this? Let's, let's just, you know, imagine any job you've had or a job in your organization. How might you better understand what goes on in that job? What do you think, Chris? Yeah. So Bring in your team, first of all. Make sure they're involved because if you just hire on your own, unless your team's toxic and you're in the process of changing everybody out or something, bring them in. Gang, who do we want on our team? What should they know? What might their background look like? If we just, if we have no specification, we might get 400 resumes and we can't go through them all, mm -hmm. right? And that's how you get the numbskull stuff of entry-level position requires PhD and 14 years of experience to <laughs> check the mail and make the coffee. You know, that's, you know, lots of times people use inflated job specs to weed out candidates. Um, mm. So they have less amount of resumes to look through. I don't think that's the best way to do it. I don't know if that's a good look for your org, 
But that's one of those things. But make sure that you're getting with the team that makes sure that it's a calibrated job description and specification. Then after you've met with your team, sit back and kind of do some observation of the day-to-day or, hey, guys, I'm just going to be working out here in the pit with you guys and, mm-hmm. and just to kind of see what goes on. It's not me snooping. It's, you know, I just want to see if there's anything we might have missed in our job description or specification that you guys do this work all the time. Maybe you forgot something, right? Right, right. So you can observe people doing the job. And this is especially helpful if it involves something that you can actually observe, right? So if, if someone observed me doing my job, they, they, they could probably see me teaching once in a while. They would see me recording some podcasts, see me maybe doing some consulting work. They'd see me writing. Um, but it would be a little bit tougher with the observation piece. But if let's go back to the NFL example. If you want to figure out what they're doing, what are they doing? What is the job of, a, of an NFL player? It's catching passes, blocking players, tackling people, right? Running fast, all of these different aspects you could observe and actually see. So doing some observation can be one way to start to get some knowledge around what the job involves. Another thing you can do, and this is this can really be informative, is to interview some of those experienced people who do the job. You know, you've got a person who has good knowledge of what's going on in that area, interview them. Ask them what kinds of tasks they do, how frequently they do those tasks, how important those tasks are. So then you can start to, and this is getting a little bit into nerdy HR world, but then you can really start to define what are the essential functions of the of the of the role and maybe some non-essential functions, but, you know, things that happen once in a while. Um, so you can do that interview folks. You know, if you have a bunch of people who do the same job, um, you know, you could actually develop a survey. There are various ones out there that ask what people do, how frequently they do it, and then the importance of what they do. So that's, that's a great resource for you. And there's also some free stuff that you can look at, which is awesome. Yeah, so we got 1tonline.org, and we'll put a link to this in the so show the, notes. So the the uninitiated might call it 1T Online. Those of us in, in the world of organizational psychology actually call it ONET. So it's the Occupational Information Network. Uh, and the Occupational Information Network is a um, it's actually a, a database that is supported by the uh, Department of Labor that has all kinds of insight and analysis related to a bunch of different jobs. So you can go to that website. We'll put it in the show notes and go to the ONET and you can look up, Hey, you know, for this job title, it could be, you know, nurse manager. It could be physician's assistant. It could be manufacturing supervisor, whatever it is. And that way you'll, you'll, you do that and you'll come up with, here's the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, um, other characteristics, types of technology that are used, all kinds of different things related to that job. That's a great place where you can get some information, if, especially if you don't know a whole lot about the job. Let's say you're hiring for a position that, hey, nobody's ever done this here before. We need somebody for it. Um, you know, I, I actually used the ONET when we were hiring a nanny. Um, so, of course, you know, it's like, oh, we get to hire a domestic employee. This is exciting. And so, you know, we... <laughs> What my, in the world? <laughs> my, my wife, and, you know, because I was talking to my wife, I was like, we get to design a selection process here. She's like, oh boy, here we go. So um, I actually looked up nannies in on the ONET and there's a bunch of good information, you know? So for example, one of the things that came up when I was looking at that is like, you know, um, you know, being able to handle situations with emergencies with children and knowledge of first aid and stuff like that. And then I was able to take, you know, the essential pieces of that and say, well, what kinds of inter- interview questions? I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but what kinds of interview questions might tap into those different pieces? Well, I could ask, tell me about a time when you handled an emergency with a child. Tell me how you have handled discipline issues with a with an with a churlish and insubordinate youngun. You know, those types of items. And it can really start to ground what you're doing in reality and not have it just be based on speculation. One thing to be careful with on this job analysis, and I've, I've come into organizations where they said, oh, well, we did a job analysis. And I generally think, all right. You know, the first couple of times I was like, all right, great. Let's take a look at it. If you ask your employees how they spend your days, I promise you they're working 40 hours a day. When you start stacking up, <laughs> oh, yeah, I do this for three hours. Oh, that's at least six hours. That You got to calibrate as a manager yep. or somebody calibrate in reality. That's why, you know, they may get the percentages right, but there's no way they're working 40 hours a day because there's only 24, right? <laughs> so go in, calibrate that kind of stuff. Go online, you know, ONET, 1T. I don't know what I was saying there, but... <laughs> 
Onet uh, is decent, but also going to your competitors and other places and looking at their job descriptions. I've seen people say like, you know what? We should have the hiring manager do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Or this role, man, that would be a way better use of their time. And they create new job descriptions. That's another important thing. Your job title and descriptions need to calibrate. You know, so a director of operations how many people they're in charge of and how much revenue and how much PL should calibrate with other industries of your, you know, other companies in your industry of the same size, same, same kind of stuff. Validate that stuff online. And, you know, this should give you a good example. So you're not just starting from scratch. Yeah, that's great. One thing I really like about what you said is, hey, talk to some people maybe outside of your organization. And this is especially helpful if it's if you're hiring for a job that has never existed in your organization. For example, right now, the, a nonprofit that I'm on the board of, we're in the process of going through figuring out how we're going to hire a director of development or you know or something like that. We haven't figured out the title exactly yet. But part of our job analysis was talking to some really experienced people who have done this before and run large nonprofits and have lots of people who do fundraising for them and saying, well, what's involved? What does this look like? Tell us about your experience. And that gives us a flavor then for how we can shape things for our hiring process. Uh, So some excellent things there. You know, so job analysis is, um, you know, that this gives you that job description, that job specification. And then we got to think about, all right, we've figured this out. We know what the job involves. We know what uh, types of knowledge, skills, and abilities are likely required to do it well. What do we do next? Well, first of all, there's usually some sort of re- resume screening, right? Looking for kind of the basics. I would use resume screening as a weed out process. Like this person definitely doesn't have the basics of what we need. It's total, you know, <laughs> wrong type of, of person. Um, and then, you know, once you've gotten the pool to something manageable, then you can start to move towards interviews, right? And again, we're talking about kind of the basic approach that most organizations, especially those in the mid-market tend to use. This is where you want to design good interview questions. Don't just wing it. Right. Don't trust people to magically come up with the interview questions. And we'll talk about that with specific advice for what you should do. But one of the things is a structured versus an unstructured interview. Mm. An unstructured interview, you know, I think many people have sat through these. I know I have. Yeah. So, uh, uh, oh, they're looking at my resume just now for the first time. <laughs> this guy's not ready to talk to me. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so how was college? Yeah. Or they <laughs> or they just used it as kind of a get to know you, know you time. Maybe they have really looked at your resume and they're like, hey, so tell me about yourself. Yeah. All right. What kind of hobbies do you have? Just just kind of informal. Yeah, get and to you're know like, you I can't tell you my, you know, <laughs> I collect Pokemon cards and you play golf or something. You know, wait, what is that? You know, at that point, you're having a bad experience as a candidate and you're going to have different quality. Maybe one time with one candidate, the manager really gets into some good dialogue, but he doesn't with the other candidates because he's so unstructured and undisciplined. You don't want any of that. You want structured interviews. So that means after you've done the job analysis and you've got some good candidates that you have put together and hopefully with your team or at least more senior members of their team is, hey, what questions should we be asking these guys Mm -hmm. before they come in here? Yeah. So one way to think about it is, okay, here are all the different types of knowledge, skills, abilities, and other characteristics that we're looking for. Here are some questions that, at least at a theoretical or conceptual level, tap into those different things, right? So if, you know, handling emergencies is a key task of the job, what are we going to ask that taps into those types of of, um, experiences and knowledge that the person needs to have? And so you determine all the questions beforehand, make sure it's based on your job analysis, your, your best um, estimate of what actually happens in that job. Ask all the applicants the same questions so that you can compare, you know, person to person, what's going on. And then right away after you go through this, and ideally you have multiple raters, you don't just do this by yourself. You have either the person interviews at the same time with a group of people, and then independently you can, you know, rate people on you know, the, the quality of their answers to different questions, but you rate them right away and you don't talk about it first with the multiple raters, right? You don't talk about it. You independently rate so that you can have that unbiased um, insight from everybody. 
So those are just some basics of having structure in this process. One, one other piece here is once you get those questions together, you know, maybe you have it on a scale of one to 10. Uh, 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 answer, you know, one being the worst, 10 being the best. One, if they get this kind of answer, okay, they know what it is, but they don't know what to do with it. You know, a, mm -hmm. a middle of the pack answer, a five answer might be this. A home run answer would include this, that, and the other thing. And so that way, when everybody's going, they're looking, okay, we asked them this question. We're looking for some specific pieces of information. Uh, you know, we don't need somebody that has a perfect knowledge of this piece. A five's okay. Um, but we do, if somebody has a three or below on this question, we want to, you know, preclude them from continuing. Those are the kinds of things because Ben may look at something differently than I do, but by working on those questions and then working, here's what a good answer looks like, a middling answer, and a, a not so good answer looks mm -hmm. like, that helps even more structure to be in that situation to remove items like bias, you know? Mm. Uh, somebody, hey, he came from my alma mater, he likes golf, and, and we root for the same football team. You know, no. that's not based on your job analysis and other items, right? Structure those interviews, they conduct the interviews, they're marking their papers, then maybe they go write a paragraph or two about what they personally thought about the candidate separately. Mm -hmm. Now, after that's all done, they can talk about the candidate, sure, but really try to keep that stuff separate. That's great. Uh, excellent point there. And then there are kind of two types of questions that you want to be asking. The first one are situational questions. What would you do? You present them with a scenario that is relevant to the job and ask them what they would do. And again, you would have ideally some idea around what is a good answer, what's a bad answer, and, and you'd all know that. And then you can ask some behavioral questions, which is those tell me about a time when questions. Now, you want to be careful because you also don't want to just be hiring the best storyteller, right? And that can be part of this is if they're just really good at telling you stories. So if, if someone's like struggling with an answer, it's not necessarily that they don't have the knowledge, skills, and abilities. It could just be that they're you know trying to figure out the perfect situation to tell you about. Um, so that that's where you can kind of guide them and say, okay, well, you know, think of, think of some of the situations in your past, or you can prompt them and say, Hey, you know, so you were, you worked at this place. Tell me a little bit about that. And then say, okay, well, you know, tell me about some of the tasks that were involved. What were some of the challenges um, as it pertains to your, the question you're asking, the situational question or the uh, behavioral question. Um, tell me about some of the things you did. What were some of the outcomes? And that could be a great way to guide them through that. So you're starting to, you know, you're not just looking at storytellers, you, unless you actually are hiring for a storyteller position, <laughs> then you are looking for storytellers. Um, so uh, keep that in mind. And remember that this interview is just one part of your selection process. You can also include more formal assessments of knowledge, skills, um, other relevant criteria. You can put somebody through what we call a work sample test where they're actually doing something that is frequently done in the job where they maybe, like if one of their parts of their job is, um, you know, uh, presenting, you know, data uh, on, on some topic to people, they may actually do that for you and you can rate, rate that. So keep that in mind. Um, structured interviews, work sample tests, those are key. Uh, don't do the unstructured interviews. One of the best ways that you can increase the probability of hiring someone good, decrease that probability of hiring someone who's not good and not missing those diamonds in the rough is to move from unstructured to structured interviews. Right. One of the other things you can do is, so back in, you know, grad business school, we would prep for these interviews using something called the STAR method. Mm -hmm. Situation, task, actions, results. Yep. If you don't know what that is, go Google it. But not everybody, depending on the job, knows the STAR method. This is for business school weenies like me, right? <laughs> it, but you can prompt them. Hey, so tell me about a situation where this happened. What were the tasks, the T, you know, what tasks did you need to do at that point? Okay, so you knew the tasks. So what actions did you do to complete those tasks? Man, that's great. You know, and what were the results? You know, you can coach somebody's having a hard time telling the story of a time when by giving them a framework. And I think the STAR method is a decent one to get mm -hmm. you started down that path. That As works. you get better at these interviews, um, that'll happen. Another pitfall is personality assessments. 
right? Well, they can be. If you're using bad personality assessments, if you're trying to use, you know, the um, Myers-Briggs type indicator to hire people, you're wrong. Don't do that. It doesn't have, um, you know, good predictive validity of job performance. Yeah. If the you... one we like here is what golden girl are you from the Huffington Post? That... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I see crazy stuff out yeah. there. You know, it's like, you know, we need a Blanche for this job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's terrible. So if you are considering some sort of personality assessment, which now, don't get me wrong, personality is a very important part of, of certain jobs, um, you know, use some assessments that are based upon what we call the big five um, model of personality or if, if you're using it at all. Um, and you handle with super care. You I say care. don't do it if you're mid-market. Um, yeah, you might not want to. I think um, you would want, honestly, you would want somebody like me um, to, to help you with that. So I, uh, just to be honest, right. Yeah. You, if you're you, not going to write a check to somebody that's yeah. an expert, it's, it's does more harm than good. It could most of the time. I don't like to juggle with hand grenades, you know? So, <laughs> so what, yeah. watch that. Uh, you know, another thing you want to watch out for is don't hire someone just based on their interest in the job or the company. This is so good. Ben explain, be very specific about what this means. Cause we see this all the time. Yeah. So, um, there are, there's a lot of research that's been done on different types of tests that look, that relate to job performance, you know, looking at things like work sample tests and, uh, employment interviews that are structured versus unstructured job knowledge tests, uh, peer ratings of performance, those types of things, job experience. One of the things that's been looked at is, well, if people are interested in a certain subject matter, a certain job in our organization, does that predict future job performance? And the big finding here is not really, not not much at all. Um, the you know the 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 amount of job performance that you're going to predict is is negligible at best. So just because someone is very interested in an area doesn't necessarily mean they're great at it. You know, and I think we can it, that actually intuitively makes sense if you think about it. There are lots of things that you know you and I are probably interested in that we're not the best at. And there are also probably things that we're pretty darn good at that maybe we actually don't find. Yeah, that I wish I didn't have expertise in that area. But this is okay <laughs> for junior roles. When somebody's coming out and they have no work experience, sure. The fact that you know I am passionate about this industry and I'm really interested in launching a career as a project manager in IT. Okay, right? Yeah. Desire can start that. You know. Yeah. What is it? Um, the journey of a million miles has started with a single step, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. That's so interest, fine. Yeah. Interest is good. Especially, I think interest is a good thing to look at um, when people are in that early stage, you know, or if they're making a career transition, like this is, this is, it's a good thing to look at if you are, uh, you know, in college or if you're just trying to, or if you're in high school, you're trying to figure out what kinds of things you might want to do. You don't have it because then that tells you, okay, here's what I'm interested in. Let's build some knowledge and expertise around it. Right. Um, right. But for, for strict, you know, hiring for jobs, it's not not particularly uh, predictive of job performance. And of course, you want to avoid asking illegal questions. So at least in the United States, you know, there are a variety of questions that you should try to avoid asking. Hey, are you pregnant? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've yeah. had some girlfriends tell me they got asked if they were, and it's Ugh. like, I, yeah, not gonna work. I won't, I wouldn't want to work at that. I'm going to say, right. oh, do you have kids? Right. I mean, and then, well, here's the thing. If you are being unstructured and you're just trying to get to know someone, these are very natural questions. So and they could, can slip out. Yeah. These are so you, okay when you meet somebody at the dog park. Yeah. One, the common one in the South. So where you go to church, mm, mm. you know, because that's like a really common thing yeah. that people talk about when I live down in Tennessee or, and stuff. Or Auburn or Alabama, right? I think that one's actually legal and okay. It, no, if it was illegal, the Alabama state of Alabama's Congress would change it, right? Yeah. So, you, right. so for those of you that don't know, when you move to Alabama, you got to pick one. And it's like I don't know. I like hot wings and like Miller Lite at those kind of things. No, no, no. But Alabama or Auburn, you know. So anyway, one of the so some of the top predictors, and we haven't mentioned this quite yet, is a work sample test. Mm, yeah. You know, so, and I've seen this in like marketing careers, like, hey, bring your portfolio in. We want to see the kind of cool things you do. Right. Yeah. When I, I remember way back when um, I was applying for and eventually was hired for a job, which was basically as a writer and an editor at a university. It was a pretty cool job, actually. And 
um, part of my my process had you know interviews and so forth. But they also said, hey, here's some like different bits of information about this event or whatever. Write a 500 word story about it. I mean, that is super relevant to the job. And they were then available able to evaluate a piece of writing that I had to do on the spot. And, um, you know, I, I, I assume they looked at, you know, all the different applicants and what they put out there. Um, that's that's a, a work sample test. Um, did you did you get the job? Was your work sample yes, I worthy? Uh, I You know, I don't know if it was on the basis of my work sample exactly, but yes, I did get the job. And it, it was, it You're was like, good. no, no. <laughs> so work samples, work samples tests are good. Um, they have this stuff called gen- general mental ability yeah. tests. Um, so that's like IQ, right? And that that one's fraught. With, and you got to handle. Yeah. I I don't go down that road because uh, that handle with care. But work sample tests, totally awesome. Um, the structured employment interview, right? Yep. That all the stuff that we were just talking, also good. Um, now, if you're hiring from internally. Peer and and part of your you know annual performance review has peer ratings. Mm. People that are rated highly by their peers that can be pretty good. That, that can be relevant. Job performance for sure, for sure. So all of those things are important. Job knowledge um, tests. You know, maybe a job tryout procedure where it's some sort of thing where they can uh, you know actually do the job for a little bit and you you watch them. Um, there are actually some cool innovations in this space where people, some companies are helping other companies hire using kind of like a virtual job tryout. Maybe we'll we'll get into that in another episode using virtual reality and stuff, which is kind of neat. But um, you know, as we mentioned, interests not particularly related to job performance. Um, years of education actually is not particularly related to job performance overall. Now this now it's certain- related to getting rid of. 500 of the 600 resumes you got. Yeah. But I mean, so you, you, I mean, the thing is, you know, we oftentimes just automatically put, oh, this requires a bachelor's. This requires a master's. I think you got to think carefully about that, you know, and, and try to understand why you're putting that on, on your job description, your job specifications. Um, so those are some things to keep in mind. Let's move now. Cause I think we've, we've definitely kind of laid the landscape here in terms of the, what we're trying to do with selection and, um, how we might uh, draw upon the research, you know, because this is a process backed by 100 years of science. Let's talk now about some implications for three groups of people, job candidates, hiring managers, and executives. So for those people who don't got a job, want a job, or maybe have a job, want a different job, what do we tell them based upon all this? Well, if you're the individual, first of all, don't assume that hiring managers who are evaluating you know any of what we just talked about. I, I mean, you can print cash just going around organizations and helping fix this one thing, right? Mm. So, but you don't get to do that as an applicant. You can't be, you can't be in the interview. It's like, you know, your whole hiring process is horrible. Let me fix it. That's probably not going to get you in the good graces of the organization. But that being said, you're not helpless, a helpless victim to bad hiring stuff, right? Because people just don't know this stuff. Take control of this interview. And I realized this pretty early um, coming out of grad school during the last recession. And I went on tons of interviews. Oh, my gosh. I got a really cool role coming out of that. But very quickly, I realized people didn't know how to do this. The manager was as uncomfortable sometimes as I was. And that made me feel relaxed. And so I would take control. So they might go through their process if they had a quasi-structured process. And I and they may say, do you have any questions, anything you want to say? And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I really feel like this piece was a key part of the job. Is that correct? Yes. Hey, I'd like to highlight sometimes I've really dealt with that in other roles. Yeah. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, you I could just see the relax, their shoulders come down as attention, their face gets softer as they're like, Oh man, I am really getting some good data from this candidate to assess their performance and job role fit type stuff. It so it was it, it was just so novel to me. Yeah. And, and well, you feel great. like you're and, bragging on yourself. Yeah. Right? But and for really some people, what you want to do is is say, I want you to know enough about me to make a decision. And that's generally how I'd wrap up. I said, hmm. you know, hey, we've explored a lot today. As you think about this role, is there anything about me that you don't know yet that you would need to know to make a decision? That's great. 
That's great. You know, one thing that you're implying by that idea of kind of taking control of the interview is that you as a job applicant actually have done some research. You've looked into what the organization is about, that you know what the job involves. Like, so, you know, going into a role, you could kind of do some of your own job analysis if you're if you're savvy enough, right? You could talk to people who um, have knowledge about that that area. You could maybe even look up that that job on the ONET and see what what types of things are involved. Um, and that way, then you can know what types of you can walk into that interview saying, "I want to highlight these five things about myself during our conversation." And if it doesn't come up because of a question they asked you can find ways to put it in there. And you know, I think that's really important and is a really good tip for, for folks. Yeah, so a piece of that is bring some work samples if you can. Mm. Hey, you know, I take pride in my work. I'd love to share some of my work with you. And now here's the thing, especially if maybe you have to, you know, hey, we're going through right? COVID, you may have to dip down to a role that's below what you've performed at in the past. You may be more experienced than the person interviewing you. Mm. Or for me, like I would be looking at macroeconomic conditions of these companies. You know, I just had a baby when I was in grad school. Sarbanes-Oxley compliance was rolling off. Everything was. And so I would come to these interviews insanely prepared. But one of the pieces of feedback I got from a recruiter is helping me is like, Hey, like, yeah, you were overkill in the interview for this kind of middling role, you know, that maybe that manager doesn't know about the strategic macroeconomic conditions that might impact their industry. He just needs to know, can you manage some projects, man? Yeah. So don't outshine the sun. You know, some of you guys have that personality of just doing too much behind the work. Show your emotional savvy, because this is another piece. It's not just about the work. You know, if somebody mm-hmm. says, hey, you know, I really liked how that candidate kind of steered the conversation in a more healthy way during the interview, mm-hmm. that's a positive piece. But if this candidate is a know-it-all, what a jerk. Right. Don't get that. Go, don't go to that extreme. Yeah. I mean, you think about the goal. If you're a job candidate, you want to walk out of that interview and you want to have all those people that with whom you've interacted to be thinking good things about you, both just kind of as a person and in terms of what you can do. So you want to be very careful to, you know, don't be just, you know, throwing out tons of things about yourself to make yourself sound, you know, because it comes across as arrogant. You want to be be careful, calibrate that. Um, you don't want to make the, the hiring manager feel stupid either. So don't, you know, be careful with that. Yeah, get in, get in that job, and then you can just crawl right over them to the top. But you got to get the job, or you're not crawling anywhere. <laughs> right? Because some people are super motivated. If you're super motivated yeah. and passionate, then also be savvy, right, to those social implications. So let, well, let's yeah, let's move on to hiring, hiring managers. managers right? Yeah. So talk about job candidates, hiring managers. First thing you've got to do is understand the job. We've talked about this. Do the job analysis. Figure out what the job involves. Don't just go into this situation thinking that you know the type of person that you're looking for, especially if when you think of the type of person, it involves a whole bunch of demographic details about potential people out there. That's that's just going to steer you down the wrong path. Yeah. So another thing you want to handle with care is culture fit. Now, Indeed. a lot of people think culture fit is, I like this person. Let's go get a beer or something like that, you know? <laughs> This is a person I'd hang out with on the weekends. That is not what we're talking with about. You don't want to have a bunch of people who are the same, who are clones. Exactly. So oftentimes when we think about selection, we, we can break it down into two ways where we think about the fit between the person and the job and the fit between the person and the organization. And that's an okay way to think about it. You know, all this stuff with job analysis is really about person job fit. And then it's like a culture fit is more person organization fit. The problem is that if you're only looking for people who are going to fit into your organization, you're right. You'll end up with a bunch of clones. You're gonna, all these biases are going to come back into play. And over time, your organization is going to become less and less diverse in a whole bunch of different ways. And that's not helpful for the creativity, for the 
uh, diversity of thought that you need for a healthy organization. So what's helpful is, yes, you do want to have someone who identifies with the values of your culture. For example, identify what are the essential elements of our culture that people need to be aware of. You know, this is this is how we operate. These are the values that we have. If you can't get on board with those, it's going to be tough. So think about those when you're thinking about this idea of culture fit, not just looking for somebody who's the same as everyone else and would just kind of fit in because that's that's going to lead you down the wrong path. Yeah, we see this in the army all the time. You get assigned to a unit and the values and the culture of the military, or at least the army specifically, I'm sure it's the same way with the Navy is, you know, you do stuff on time. You don't leave your post until properly relieved. These are the kinds of values, loyalty, integrity, duty, honor, those kinds of things. But whether this guy likes football or this guy likes playing collectible Pokemon card games, Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a culture uh, essential, right? There are certain elements of culture that should be emergent with it in your company as you ingest different types of people and, and go on, you know? So maybe you always had a Thursday coffee hour as a team value, but as time went by, your team kinds of changes, nobody likes coffee. And so they go on a team walk on Thursday afternoons instead. That's fine. Walk or coffee, you're still building a culture that includes different people with different, you know, tastes, hobbies, those kinds of things. But the core pieces of your value is values and cultures are still intact. And it allows you to access a broader talent pool and not get the kind of myopic tunnel vision that derails a lot of organizations. That's great. So another thing you can do as a hiring manager is, let's say your organization doesn't have a history of doing a good job with interviews. They don't provide you with some structure. Your HR department isn't helpful with any of this. You can still do it yourself. Do some of the things we talked about here. Do a basic job analysis, come up with some good questions that are related to the job, and ask them in a structured way. Uh, That can be helpful for you. You also want to ensure that you have high-quality job descriptions. Don't just copy and paste them from somewhere else. Uh, That's an okay start, but it's not an okay finish. You want to make sure that you are tailoring it to your organization based upon what you actually need. And where are you going to figure out what you need? That's where you go back to your job analysis. So you can do all of these things as a hiring manager to help increase that probability of success in selection. Right. So now moving to the maybe executives that are responsible in charge or have oversight Mm -hmm. of uh, the hiring process to piggyback on that, ensure you have quality job descriptions. When you have to go put your recruiters or go try to find resumes, don't accept baloney from your hiring managers. They will (laughs) totally, hey, I need a job description. Okay, Google, Google, cut and paste, boom. They don't look at the actual job. They don't even proofread the job. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a manager like, dude, you didn't even proofread what you sent me. Mm. You just cut it from the internet. Don't accept that behavior. And, right. you know, maybe some slight embarrassment might be in order. Like, hey, do you really think I'm going to get you the candidates you need if you don't think about your job, know your job, you know? And one of the ways you can do that is making sure that they are going to participate in that process of realistic job interviews, mm-hmm. developing those questions, all those things that we talked about. That should be part of maybe a checklist that you hand to hiring managers. Hey, before we recruit on this, you must have done this kind of work. Right. So you want to also make sure that your culture and your employer brand is clear. You want to make sure that it's uh, talked about and people understand. You have a shared understanding of what that means. Um, And, you know, that you're putting out this clear, consistent message about what it's like to work there as part of that realistic job preview that you mentioned. And, you know, hold people accountable, hold your hiring managers accountable for at least following a process. Again, just because a hiring manager hires someone and they don't work out doesn't necessarily mean that their hiring process is is flawed because it is a game of probabilities. There's always going to be, you know, if you hire enough people, even if you use the most amazing process in the world, you will still have some not so great hires that slip through the cracks or you may unintentionally miss some of those diamonds in the rough. Um, So it is a game of probabilities, but you want to ensure that they are following the process that's going to make that probability of getting the right person higher than it would have been if they didn't follow it. So make sure people are doing that. Um, You also want to, you know, maybe even consider measuring how well your managers are following that process and using that as part of your coaching and your performance management for managers. 
Yeah. Teach them this stuff. You may have to walk through it with them a couple times, or you might have an online job aid on your SharePoint or something. Hey, before you hire, go to the HR website internally, pull down this job aid, and here's the checklist that one, two, three, how we hire around here at a bare minimum, right? And so, you know, one of those things that you want to do is also just coach them, maybe sit in those interviews with them and let them see you ask some questions, those kinds of things. Don't just throw them to the wolves because they might get eaten alive and not get the right kind of people in your organization. Um, And then make sure the tone at the top is so important. You can't tell all the managers in your organizations, they have to follow this process, do this stuff. And then you just go pick your buddies to work with you. And I'm looking at some of you CEOs out there at midsize organizations that say, oh yeah, everybody else in this organization, but I'm just going to get the COO that I like. Mm. Well, you can do that, but you might be killing some of the mojo within your organization. And you also might be precluding yourself from getting some top talent. So today on the Indigo podcast, we talked about hiring 101, how to select the best people. We talked about the challenge of selection, and we talked about the process that's backed by 100 years of science, and we followed up with some implications for job candidates, hiring managers, and executives. Thanks for listening to the Indigo podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.